to the season three finale of How to Build a Sustainable Music Career and Collect All Revenue Streams. I'm your host, author and entrepreneur, Emily White. Huge thanks to the New York City Mayor's Office of Media and Entertainment for making the season happen. This live podcast taping is a part of New York Music Month, the official celebration of New York City's vibrant and dynamic music ecosystem. I also want to thank Downtown for their support of this episode. Downtown's mission is to shift the power center of the music industry into the hands of those who create and those who support that creation by giving them the finest and most comprehensive set of tools and services. Downtown is committed to building a more equitable music business. They believe in partnership, advocacy, and helping musicians develop sustainable careers so they don't require their clients to give up any of their copyrights. We're recording this in June, which also means it's Pride Month. I want to deeply thank our partners over at the Ally Coalition for supporting us and the crucial work that they're doing. Founded in 2013 by Jack and Rachel Antonoff, the Ally Coalition provides critical support for organizations dedicated to bettering the lives of LGBTQ youth and raises raises awareness about the systematic inequalities facing the LGBTQ population. Ally Coalition is committed to bettering the lives of LGBTQ youth through tours, social media campaigns, and collab- collaborative partnerships. To learn more and how you, get, how you can get involved, I had too much caffeine today, visit theallycoalition.org. Okay, let's do this. We are back for the season three finale episode. We've been doing live podcast tapings that take you through the modern music industry in full which means you've gotten your art together, you set up your text list via community.com and overall marketing channels before you began recording, so that's totally in place, plus you've launched your pre-order or your Patreon to monetize your music before it's even out. We've covered everything you need to do legally around your music, in particular ensuring everyone in the studio signs a work-for-hire agreement, and you have a clear process to discuss and confirm songwriting splits. You've recorded your music, which is very exciting, and registered your songwriting with a performing rights organization and song trust or your publishing administrator. Last week, we dug in on the proper ways to distribute your music to receive the maximum amount of income while exploring where distribution is headed via Web3. We also learned from Janae Brown, who's known as the Beyonce of marketing, on how to market with or without a budget and discussed a lot with legendary concert promoter Peter Shapiro. This week, we learned a ton about merch with Fourth Wall COO Eli Valentine, and also reviewed all revenue streams owed to you if you write, record, slash release music, and play live, in addition to bonus revenue streams if you want to do even more. And we did that with the incredible artist Madison Rose. Yesterday, we explored when it's time to wrap your release and start the creative process all over again with Lucas Silveria of The Clicks. So you did it. But what happens when this all becomes too much? Today, we're discussing when do I need an attorney, business manager, and or a manager defining an artist's traditional team. If you want to build an industry team, The best way to do so is to follow all of the info we've shared throughout this season to build yourself up. If you have an industry team, it's just as important for you to adhere to all of the info we've shared as team members can come and go for various reasons. Similarly, most industry folks 
are going to expect you to be taking advantage of the tools and strategies we've shared as there's so much artists can do to empower themselves in the modern era. But let's explore when you need team members and how to best work with them to maximize your success. Here we go. So before I bring out our esteemed guest, I'd like to share some info on her. Christina Extina Prince is the general manager of label and publishing for radio, where she spearheads, and radio spelled R-A-E-D-I-O, where she spearheads the launch and development of the company's creative roster, branding strategy, and ecosystem. Extina has over 12 years of industry experience that spans artist management, Indian major label A&R and operations, including creative delivery, finance, and business affairs. Prior to joining radio, she spent seven years at Universal Music Group and used her passion for development, experience in tech, and artist relations to achieve long-term new business and innovation goals within this powerhouse organization. A champion for artist development and advocate for resources and guidance for artists and women of color, she continues to use her relationships and expertise to further the careers of independent artists through consulting, planning, and strategic partnerships. Let's welcome Christina. Come on up. Awesome. How are you doing? Oh my gosh, yeah. Thanks so much for doing this. So let's start at the beginning. Where are you from? So I am from Brooklyn, um, New York, born and bred, um, born in the Bronx, uh, spent some time in Harlem, Mm -hmm. then moved to Staten Island where I graduated high school. And then I finally ended up in Brooklyn where I've been for over 20 years. Love it. And of course, yeah. we're recording this in Brooklyn. Yes, so. we are. Very we are cool. near my stomping grounds, my old stomping grounds. But yeah. Love it. So what is AAM and what did you do there? So AAM is a management firm. Um, AAM managed at the time, they managed writers and producers. Mm-hmm. And that was like their core business. So they managed people like Dr. Luke, mm-hmm. Jean Baptiste. Um, and then when I came, they wanted to start, um, artist management. So that was a new business for them. Um, a lot of the writers and, and producers they were working with were kind of like transitioning into becoming artists and they saw value in that. So I came there, um, along with a band that I was co-managing at the time named Tennis. Oh, cool. Mm -hmm. I love Tennis. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh my God. I love them so much. And they like, they've been everywhere. Oh yes, yes, yes. They were my first experience with independent, Mm -hmm. um, music before independency was a thing. Like they were doing it, um, you know, just as husband and wife. So it was pretty exciting to be a part of that. Absolutely. So from there, you moved on to Republic Island Def Jam Records as senior manager of label process initiatives. What did you learn in that role? Um, I was always on the front side working in the label space. So I worked in A&R from the start. My first job was like in the A&R department. So I always worked in the creative side, um, close to the artist. In this position, I worked very closely with legal. I worked very closely with finance. All of the stuff that people deem as the boring part, I was involved in that. Um, And what I learned that the boring part isn't that boring, right? Um, It really isn't that boring. It was actually quite exciting for me. Um, I I would say I use two sides of my brain. So I'm I'm, I'm equally creative as I am non-creative. So it it was an experience for me. What did I learn? 
I would say that I learned that people are not, I learned that people, people want, they want to understand the process, right? Even creatives, like they want to understand the process. I think there's an assumption that they don't. So no one ever really engages them in that way. And then you have some artists that actually really don't, right? But there's quite a few people that want to know, like after I deliver my music, when do I get paid? What are the steps that I need to take to get paid, right? And they want it laid out clear for them. And when I was at Universal, that was my job, right? My job was to develop a system that would give them that clarity um, that would provide them with the steps required to get to the point where that light turned green and you were getting paid. Right. Right. So now there's no question of like, well, I sent the email three weeks ago and I didn't hear back. And like, you know, what, can I get any updates or follow up emails that no one responds to? It's like, now you can actually see where your record delivery is in the process. So that was exciting to be a part of. I love that. And this is kind of a throwback to my first book in turning one one. but I was talking to someone about this, uh, before this episode, um, you can, there are free email tracking tools. So like boomerang for Gmail, um, you can see if folks have read your email or not. And that's really handy because if you are asking a question and about anything, right, but when do I get paid, you know, you might be sitting there, did this go in, in a spam? What's going on? So email tracking, boomerang for Gmail is your friend. Absolutely. I actually use that. Nice. So. <laughs> um, but yeah, that was an exciting thing to learn. Um, as a manager, I already knew that mm-hmm. I was interested in that, yeah. right? Um, and then there's a lot of producers um, and writers and people who don't have management. Yeah. Um, it may not even necessarily need management, um, but they don't know how, they don't know the right questions to ask. They don't sure. know the right people to talk to. So I love that the system that we created gave that visibility and that transparency to the creative community. Hundred percent. So how did you become director of A&R at Republic Records, which evolved into senior director of A&R, as well as head of operations for Imperial Music? Those are very in-demand jobs. Uh-huh. So, um, again, I'm, I'm, I used to both sides of my brain, right? Creative, both non-creative. Um, you know, growing up and um, going out, coming out of college, I worked in, like, sales at a place that sold bath caddies, right? Like I, I worked at Ogilvy, um, PR as a coordinator. Like, so I, some people come out of college, their first job is in the music business. Yeah. From the minute that they know they want to be in music, that's all they think about. Mm-hmm. I also had to survive. So I had to take jobs that may not necessarily have been in music. Um, I worked at Credit Suisse and, you know, for a bank and helping build um, a database for a bank. Right. Totally not music related. So when I went into the music industry full time, I just had a very different perspective Mm -hmm. and I came with a different set of skills and I learned to love those skills. I learned to love that experience. So when I got into the music industry, I was always looking for an opportunity to flex that muscle. Oh yeah. So going from, I also wanted to be an A&R. I love creative. I used to be an artist. That's my, my pet peeve, my bug. Like I'm never going to let that go. So once I got to a place where I felt I've done all I could, um, in my position that I got hired for, which was helping to develop and, 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 um, build the system. Right. Mm -hmm. I said, well, let me go back to what I really 
love, right? What I really wanted to do, um, and that was A&R. Um, I have a really close relationship with the guy at the time who was the head, the president of A&R for Republic, and we always talked, and, and he was just like, hey, are you ready, you know, mm -hmm. to do this? And I said, okay, yeah, I'm ready. Now, a caveat was that we had to work with developing talent. Right. That was, like, my big thing. It was like, I don't really want to work with the superstars uh -huh. of course you know who doesn't want to but it was just like that was a missing piece for me in the music industry was artist development and so when i was offered the opportunity to come and do that i i jumped at it i said yeah. okay cool let's do it love it you founded the blind youth almost a decade ago what is the blind youth and how do you balance how did you balance that with your major label work oh so um coming from aam Mm -hmm. they ultimately decided that artist management was not <laughs> their thing. <Yeah. laughs> um, it's like quite demanding. It's not like managing producers and writers. Mm -hmm. Like you have to be involved in so many aspects of their life and their development. So it turned out to be something that AAM ultimately felt like this is not really something we wanted to do. I had signed an artist and I had to fight so hard to get that artist like papered up. Yeah. By the time... The artist, we got to the point of that, she blew up, right? Wow. Like, you know, this is through my work and my effort and the label didn't, the the management company didn't sign her. Right. Now she's like popping, right? Because we did all the legwork. Now she's popping on it online and everybody's loving her. Another company comes and swoops in mm. and now they're like, hey, we want to sign you. Yeah. It was heartbreaking. She ultimately ended up going there. And I realized that it was because the company that I was working for didn't support me at the level that I needed them to support me earlier on. Right. And I said, oh, this is not happening to me again. Yeah. So I'm going to start my own company. Nice. And I started The Blind Youth. Um, at the time, my mom was like, don't. Don't just like leave a, a job getting paid to go and start a company that's completely reliant on unreliable creative people. She was like, you should get a job, you know, and do this and while you're working. And I was like, no, I'm just going to focus on this. So for three months, I built The Blind Youth. Um, I had an artist who I loved, who we we talked and we we engaged each other and I worked with him from a distance. Mm -hmm. um, he was on the West Coast. I was on the East Coast. There was no Instagram. So we never even saw each other. We just worked online and over the phone. And I said, I'm just going to bring him to New York and I'm going to launch my company and I'm going to focus on that. And so I brought him to New York. I launched my company and that was the blind youth. I love it. Incredible. Yeah. What inspired you to launch radio where you're now the general manager of label and publishing? So I didn't launch radio. Okay. Um, radio was a company that was started by Issa Rae and Benoni mm -hmm. Tago, Tago, I think I'm pronouncing that correctly. Um, and it started off um, as a venture partnership with Atlantic. Cool. Um, and then it turned into evolved to be music supervision and Great. sync and all of these things. Um, I was managing an artist that was signed there mm -hmm. and I was only managing her for a short stint of time. Funny story is I tried to sign her as an A&R at Republic. I lost to radio. <laughs> so I right. ultimately didn't get to sign her, but she and I stayed close. Cool. So when she was a couple of years into her deal, she circled back to me and said, hey, could you help me out? Mm -hmm. So I hopped on to manage her um, and it wasn't a long relationship but I guess what I would imagine that what I brought to the table radio yeah. was just like 
this is valuable, right? right. Um, I was able to identify some things that they needed um, to improve on and, and ways that I could support them yeah. unknowingly. Like, I didn't know I was doing that. Right. Um, and then they just said, hey, we need somebody. We need someone like you here. Yeah. And I was like, okay. Um, I'm still working at Universal. I'm still at Republic. I was a little nervous to leave because I knew everybody where I was. But I love that radio provided resources to developing artists. Mm -hmm. It's artists that um, never got a sync before a day in their lives until they got synced on Insecure. You know, yeah. um, their contribution and commitment to the artist community and the creative community has always been fascinating to me. Um, and I love that they work with a lot of artists of color and mm -hmm. You know, it's just in the, in the company has so many people of color. Like it's just I was very fascinated by what they have built over the years. And to see them do that from being this small venture company, you know, with a partnership with Atlantic to turning into a company that's getting awards and sync awards for stuff like Godfather of Harlem and P-Valley. I was like, oh, man. So they were doing what I wanted to do the way that I wanted to do it. Right. So I said, OK, I'll give it a try. And um, I took the role in January of 2021. Fabulous. I love it. So you have your management company, The Blind Youth, and then radio where you do publishing, label, and sync. Yes. Yeah, so uh, they did. Um, I One of the caveats of me taking a job was I have to keep yeah. my management company. Um, I had spent too many years building it. Um, mm -hmm. out, and, and even at Universal, I started my management company before... I started working at Universal yeah. and Universal wanted to hire me. They chased me a little bit for that job because right. I was just like, I started this and I'm doing this on my own. I don't want to give up on myself. And mm -hmm. I feel like if I took the job, I would have been giving up on myself. And they were just like, no, please take it. Um, you know, we need you. We need your expertise. We need your knowledge when it comes to like artist um, relations mm -hmm. and understanding the creative community, but also understanding structure and understanding processes and those yeah. things. So I said, I'll take it if I could keep my company. Cool. So I was able to keep my company through my entire stint at Universal. And um, same thing came when I went to radio. I was like, I'll take the job if I don't have to let go of my company. And, and it wasn't just like a money thing, right? Like it wasn't like, oh, I don't want to let go of my company because my company is like millions of dollars. Like, you know, mm -hmm. I help these people and I love them. You know, I've, yeah. I've grown to like really, really, really love them. And we don't have traditional management artist relationships. We are partners. Mm -hmm. And it's like walking away from a business that you built from the ground up. And that didn't feel, that didn't sit right with me. Um, another thing too is, you know, what the work that I put in over there is work that I can apply over here yeah. and vice versa. So to remove myself from that ground up you know, level of practice in the music industry would be to almost, in a sense, dumb myself down to what mm -hmm. needs to happen right. in my new position. So I stayed, I kept my company and I, I went to radio. I love it. And it's been good. Incredible. So now we're going to get into the vegetarian meat of this episode. <laughs> when do I need an attorney, uh, manager, and or a business manager defining an artist's traditional team? So when does an artist need a music attorney? So I thought about this question on my way. I was I didn't prepare as much as I wanted to. Like I was like, oh, I'm going to look into this for two weeks. I'm going to think about this. But then I was like, ah, fuck it. Well, you, <laughs> so, you live and breathe this stuff too. Yes, you know? I, I, I can only be candid and honest because of my experiences. 
and because of my journey. Mm-hmm. I think that you don't need... And I know so many attorneys about to kill me. Mine is here and she's an amazing human. No pressure. <laughs> um, you need a manager that has legal knowledge, mm, right? Yeah. You need that before you have an attorney. That's right. In this time, there's so many, a lot of contracts are essentially copy and pasted for lack of a better word, sure. right? You make some adjustments to certain languages and certain lines based on conversation, based on agreements, based on what, you know, but for the most part, these contracts are the same, you know? And I feel like if you have, if you make it your business to focus on getting a partner and I won't even call it management, get a partner who has the education and the knowledge and willing to seek further education Mm -hmm. to be able to negotiate some of these early contracts for you, then you don't need a lawyer at a very early point in your career. I agree. You do need a lawyer when you start getting to the point where the contracts become so complicated Mm -hmm. that management isn't able to... um, one, uh, explain it to you clearly, because yeah. I think that's one of the most important things. But also, where management isn't able to negotiate it mm-hmm. at the level that it, you, it needs to be negotiated to, to protect you through and through. Um, so when you're stargating brand partnership opportunities, when you start, you know, um, signing record deals, like I would not sign a record deal without an attorney. Totally. Like, you know, when you start doing large business with large corporations whose agreements are no longer three or four pages long, get an attorney. Yeah, exactly. And the reason I um, start with that team member and that question is for you guys, because I meet a lot of artists at conferences um, who come up to me and they're like, this is my attorney. And that's their only team member. And I'm thinking, because you're paying them to be there. Um, So really like, I feel that you need a music attorney, which is not an entertainment attorney, not a real estate attorney, not a whatever attorney, when you're doing any sort of major rights deal. Um, So like you said, a label deal, a publishing deal, a management, you know, if you get handed a management contract, you're definitely going to need and want an attorney to represent you, um, a producer agreement. But it's like, you're exactly right. If it's, you know, a two-page promo agreement, you don't necessarily need to hire an attorney. So like I said, my beloved attorney is here. I love attorneys. I have a lot of amazing attorneys in my life. I just don't want you paying $500 an hour for someone to hang out with you at a conference. Um, yeah. And we're, we're, we're reviewing stuff. So, um, okay, great. Absolutely. And, you know, when you get to a certain level, you know, man, you know, uh, your legal team almost becomes an extension of your team. Like they are part of your team. Right. Now you've got these contracts and deals coming in left and right. And your manager, sometimes it isn't even that they can't negotiate it. Sometimes they just don't have the time. Right. Um, At that point, you're paying your lawyer five percent of everything that you make. You know what I mean? Um, which can get pretty hefty if you what you're making is used to pay your rent and you're still living yep. in a one bedroom apartment in Brooklyn. Like, so I think you it's gotta be smart um and educate yourself again, because yeah. so much of these smaller contracts, once you get the first one, mm-hmm. you're essentially just copying the second one and the third one and the fourth right. one. So if you're smart, you're you're getting your first producer agreement done. And then you're using the same producer agreement for your next producer. Yeah. And that's how that's how you get past that until it becomes necessary, in my opinion. For sure. And I think, like, sometimes artists 
have an attorney first or think they have an attorney first, like that's also a hangover from the pre-digital era where it's like you would need someone to shop your music to record and distribute. And as we've covered throughout this podcast, you can record and distribute on your own now. Absolutely. And I think attorneys, there are some attorneys that do that, that still, you know, seek opportunities for you Mm -hmm. and things like that. Um, I wouldn't say that there's a lot of of attorneys that do that anymore. Right, I agree. yeah. Yeah. And, you know, this is just reminding me of a conversation I just had with an artist. Um, utilize your your whole team. You know what I mean? So I talked to an artist um, from my home state of Wisconsin. She's interested in a publishing deal. I said, I saw who her agent was and it was someone I know. And we're going to talk about what booking agents do in a second. But I was like, let Zach know. Like he's at shows. He's talking to people. And then I saw Zach at a conference and mentioned that. And I was like, oh, I just ran into this public. You know what I mean? So it's like, it's a team, Absolutely. you know? Absolutely. Awesome. All right. So let's talk about management. What does a manager do? <laughs> and I'm saying it like that because I, it's like I think there's a lot of uh, mystique around that. So I would start by saying I hate the word management <laughs> so much. Um, I used to I used it used to make sense to me mm-hmm. like many, 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 many years ago. Yeah. Um, now because so much of the heavy lifting has to happen before anyone is even interested in even talking to you. Right. Um, I think your manager management should be now called partnerships. Period. Totally agree. Period. Yeah. Um, the question was, when do you need a manager? Um, what does a manager do? Oh, what does a manager do? Uh, these days, everything, everything. I mean, your manager's your record label. Mm -hmm. The start there. Right. Um, your manager is your A&R. Um, your manager is your mom, your dad. You know, like, it's just, I, don't, I think, a, and we'll say good manager, right? Like, yeah. not just any manager, but, like, a manager who actually really cares and is invested in your career and is invested in you as a person is all the things. Mm-hmm. Nowadays, I think the most obvious is your manager is your label, mm-hmm. They are your label until you have a label, until you are signed, until you have a publisher, Mm -hmm. even down to publishing. Right. Like some people aren't in a place where they're going to get a publishing deal. Some people should have a publishing deal and still can't get a publishing deal. Mm -hmm. Your it's your manager's responsibility to make sure that your songs are registered, to make sure that Mm -hmm. you're collecting all of your, you know, what the revenue that's owed to you and due to you across the board. Right. Um, They're making sure that you're cutting records and that you have the equipment necessary to cut these records and working with you on rollout plans and timelines and who you're going to distribute your music through. Is it going to be TuneCore? Is it going to be STEM? Like Mm -hmm. all of that is that all of that is on your manager. Yeah. And if they're a good manager, you guys are if they're a good manager and you're a good artist you guys are working together, mm-hmm. right? Um, before you even have other members of your team, you guys are huddled in the cut alone, really building a business from the ground up, like any startup company. So I would go as far as to say your manager does everything. They read those contracts mm-hmm. for sure. Even if your lawyer read it, your manager should read it three times after your lawyer because I've seen a lot of people, lawyers sign off on contracts and then they don't find out till years later that they signed something that they otherwise wouldn't have signed had they understood it, right? Mm-hmm. So I think your manager is your first line of defense. They're your last line of defense and, and, and a part of everything that you do. So be nice to your manager because that's a lot. Yes, it's, it's a really a, hard job. It's a hard job. It's yeah. a hard job. I mean, it's like, 
you're, you got to think about it. I think I said this on another um, panel I was on. This is a person that is literally giving, they're literally putting their entire life, their future, their income potential in the hands of an idea that you think that you're a star. Yeah. That's in, that's the definition of insanity when you really think about it. Like a person that's got, it woke up and goes, oh, you know what? Forget anything that I ever was trying to be. Mm -hmm. I'm going to commit myself to helping you become everything you're trying to be. That is crazy. The only person that ever does that is like your mom and your dad, you know? So I feel like as a, as a manager, as a partner of artists, I think managers should be like praised at every possible moment that they can, because it is a sacrifice. It's managers I know that don't even spend as much time with their family. They spend more time with the artists, you know? So, yeah. And I think with everything you're describing, um, I think it's important, um, to be mindful of expectations of your manager. Cause sometimes, you know, artists grow up with kind of a stereotype in their brain of what they think their manager is going to be like, that it's going to be some sort of miracle worker. Um, but you said it, it's like, we're human beings. And I love the word partnership. Mm-hmm. Totally, totally agree with that. Um, to the extent that, you know, my business partner, um, uh, always asks a really important question when considering taking on an artist, I call it the Melissa rule. Uh, her name's Melissa. Um, and she asks, have you had management before? And if the answer is yes, that's very appealing to her. Cause it's like, oh, okay. They understand this is a partnership. They understand I'm a human and how this works. But if the, if the answer is no, it's quite a turnoff to her. Cause like I said, I think there's that stereotype that it's going to be like someone on the 50th floor. That's just going to be some miracle worker. And I'm going to be play, playing Madison square garden tomorrow. But in reality, like you said, it's a partnership. Um, And I would also say, like, how I define management is a manager um, sets the short and long-term goals with the artist and then assembles the team around the artist or inherits the team, maybe making changes along the way, always with your approval, and then ensures that team is working towards those short and long-term goals. So really, like, um, you know, the artist is kind of the CEO, but the manager is the COO, the exactly. operations. Absolutely. 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 The COO, the CFO, like yeah. <laughs> that the manager is all those things. You, you put it exactly right. The CMO, yes. the C everything. O, the janitor, like. <laughs> the concierge, the reception. So again, be, be nice to your, be nice to your manager. Um, how do managers generally get paid? Um, so my structure is a little different, mm-hmm. um, but generally a manager gets paid a percentage of the earnings from the artist. Yeah. And that's across the board. Yep. Um, some artists will be like, well, I thought I only had to give you percentage of the music. And it's like, no, 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 no. Whatever you make, if you go outside and you, you know, shake a cup for corn with corn, like mm-hmm. I get 20% of all those pennies right. that you got put in that cup. Yeah. 20%, um, 10% or whatever you agree to with mm-hmm. your management um, is across the board, every bit of earnings that you make. Yeah. A hundred percent of your entertainment industry earnings. So if you go work at Starbucks or something, we're not going to touch that. Oh yeah. 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 But the entertainment (laughs) earnings is because, you know, when Extina builds you up and maybe you're in a group, but then you decide to go solo, it's, it's not like, you know, Extina's not working on that as well. Um, so it's all, uh, entertainment and, you know, um, what do you look for in artists that you manage? Um, I would start off to say that Melissa is intelligent. Um, I'll tell her you very, said that. Very smart. 
Um, whether or not someone has been managed before, 1,000%. It's like being in a relationship. You don't want to date the girl who never had a boyfriend, right? Right. And you don't want to date the guy who never had a girlfriend Mm -hmm. because you don't want to be the first one (laughs) that they do it wrong with. (laughs) You know, you just like, you understand better what you need and what you want when you've had the experience. So definitely um, someone who's been managed before. Um, Music first. I got to love the music. Yeah. I have to love the music. Like I can love the person um, and that might get us but so far, mm-hmm. but I have to love the music first. Um, after loving the music, I have to love the person. Yeah. I have to love the person um, because a part of being a manager is also being a teacher, Yeah, you know? And so you have to want and, and, and have the desire to watch them grow, mm-hmm. to help them develop, not just creatively, but business-wise, emotionally, mm-hmm. mentally, and all those other things. So um, the personality and the person that I'm working with, very important. Um, their values, um, what they believe in, loyalty. Mm-hmm. Are they loyal? Yeah. Like that is that is one of the m- most important things because you don't always agree, right? Mm-hmm. In any relationship, you're not going to always agree. So if each other knows that they're fully committed to yeah. each other, then you can have those arguments comfortably, you know? Mm-hmm. Like one of the artists that I manage, I've managed him for a long time. He's like my best friend, part of my family. Yeah. Um, when he came to me and we was like, we're going to do this. My first thing that I said to him was, you have to promise me that you will never let anything get between us. Yeah. I don't care what it is. Your girlfriend, your boyfriend, your cousin, your uncle, you cannot let anything get in between us because after you've worked and you put in so much effort to get so far, you don't want somebody waking up on the wrong side of the bed yeah. to end the relationship, mm-hmm. you know? Um, totally. So yeah, that, that is the first question that I ask any artist that I work with. Yeah. And that's why communication channels are so clear. Like it's okay to ask questions or even be frustrated, but do so in a respectful way so you can understand and grow together. Absolutely. And I mean, you know, let's keep it real. We're all human beings. I yeah. think, you know, you got, People who yell and say disrespectful things to their boyfriend or girlfriend because they're upset, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but as long as we can come to each other and say, you know what, my bad, yeah. you know, my bad, I was, I felt the way or whatever, you know, I think that saves many relationships. The ability yeah. to apologize and take accountability yeah. saves many relationships. But I think you are already in a position to want that when you've made that commitment that no matter what, I'm not going to let anything get in between what we have, period. You know. I love that. And I'm going to call out Joyce again, my attorney who also ran management companies. She's, I've heard her say over the years, I'm on your side. You know, So just, just remember that as well. And for what it's worth, when I was managing artists, which is like very similar to what you were looking for, um, an artist, I, I had to love the art. Um, I, I don't want to work harder than the artist does. I mean, I think that's part of the. <laughs> that's a great want. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's a great goal. But that's like part of those communication channels. And sure, we all miss a message here or there. But it's like if we're constantly chasing them, then we're not moving their career forward. You know. Absolutely. I so I used to I used to say that for sure. And I think in my heart, I really mean that. Yeah. I really mean that. But I think. Especially nowadays, um, it's so much going on um, in, you know, even from the pandemic, right? Mm-hmm. Like mentally and emotionally. Yes. And then now you have Instagram and you think you're hot, but then you scroll and somebody looks hotter. Right. 
You know, sometimes just those moments in an artist's career slows them down. Yeah. You know, so I want to believe that I'm that I'm work. We're always working equally hard. Mm -hmm. I want to believe that. Um, But chances are we're probably not. You know, I'm also I think managers to be a manager, you're cut from a quite different cloth than an artist. Um, You know, you're getting up at eight. The artist is getting up at noon. Totally. You know what I mean? Like you Mm -hmm. the dynamic is already trash, you know, so I feel like ultimately um, I want somebody who's willing to understand that they need to do that. Yeah. I think it's the want to want to, you know what I mean? Like you got to yeah. want to want this just mm-hmm. as much as me. And eventually you'll get to a place where you're working as hard as me. And yeah. it might take a while, but you know, I'm a little less, I'm a little less, um, how do you say stickler for that yeah. than I used to be. Yeah. And then I had a third criteria, which is the no asshole rule. Yeah, that one's a little tough too. Because <laughs> if you ask some of my some of my clients, they might be like, "She's an asshole." No, I met them. <laughs> like, it's, well, it's both, I guess, right? It has yeah. to go both ways. It has to go both. Like, interestingly enough, on my way here, I was kind of like low key kicking myself because one of my clients called me this morning, and I feel like I had a tone, and it wasn't anything to do with her. It was just like. I was just like really in the middle of what I was doing totally. and I was probably a little frustrated about something that was going on. Yep. And, and and to her, I'm pretty sure she felt that energy, mm-hmm. you know, and she's probably like, bitch, you know, mm-hmm. and I wouldn't even blame her. Cause like, I, I definitely felt my own tone. Mm-hmm. So I feel like it's kind of hard, you know? Yeah. Just don't be, just don't be, um, how do you say, just don't be like, a consistent asshole. Yeah, you know what I mean? Sure. Like you can have your asshole moments. Everybody mm-hmm. has their asshole moments. But just don't be, wake up like that. Like, that's, yeah. that's not going to work. Well, and also, like, I keep talking about my first book, Interning 101, but I have in there, like, this is similar, not quite the same, but it's like if you're interning or you're working for someone and they're short with you or frustrated with you or, or they're short or frustrated, there's like a 99% chance it has nothing to do with you. Absolutely. Absolutely. And even if it does, like, I think um, this is the challenge and and, and management is a relationship, right? It's the relationship as any relationship ever. Um, Sometimes you need to take a step back and ask yourself, are you being honest about how you feel right now? Yeah. You know, because sometimes that little thing where, you know, you sent me the song and I didn't respond Mm -hmm. and say if I liked it or not. Right. When I speak to you tomorrow, you got a tone. And you never told me it was because I never responded about the song that you sent me yesterday, sure, right? Yeah. Like, are we being honest with each other about why we're being this way or why we're feeling this way right yeah. now? You know what I mean? And I think that's that's the best that yeah. you, you can do, really. Well, that's such a great example. And again, it goes back to being a human. It's like, I've been doing these podcast tapings all month, and I'm a little behind on digital communication right now. Doesn't mean, like... Um, I'm not going to like repost your LinkedIn posts that tagged me or I, I will get around to that. But, and, and you don't know what's going on with someone else in someone else's life. You know? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I also feel like if you're, if you're a solid manager um, and you're constantly, you know, you're always seeking out education, you're always yeah. seeking out to learn, like, you know, I'm learning how to run ads, like, you know, right. and because an art, one artist might have all the money for me to hire a third party. Totally. One artist doesn't have any money. So I have to still get it done. Right. I may not be in the listening to music 
mm-hmm. vibe right now. Right now I'm in the algorithm vibe, you yeah. know? So sometimes you just got to understand that you got to just wait a second and don't, you know, try not to take everything personally. Yeah. But I think it also goes both ways. Yeah. You know, as a manager, I have to try not to take everything personally as yep. well. So Yeah, 100%. So when does an artist, quote, need a manager? So when I was an artist, I would have said you need a manager later, right? Like once you've once you've gotten to a place where people are seeking you out, yeah. right? And the communication becomes so overwhelming that you can't manage it. Mm-hmm. Now you need a manager the minute that you decide that you want to be an artist, The minute that you decide that you want to be an artist and and not just, you know, let me rephrase that. I don't even know if want to be an artist is the right word. The minute that you're committed to being an artist, the way that you're committed to a job, you know, you need a manager Mm -hmm. because right now people release music independently. You can release music on TuneCore if Mm -hmm. you just cut a record today and put it on TuneCore tomorrow. Yeah. What do you do after you put it on TuneCore? That's the hard part. Um... I think for an artist balancing being creative, some some artists can do it and they do it well, but a lot of artists can't, right? They can't be creative and also, you know, focus on the strategy, the rollout, the timeline, you know, what where what what are my six month goals, my 12 month goals, where do I want to be in two years? That's a conversation, even if your manager's like your homeboy who just believes in you, like mm-hmm. Bring them on to your team right now because yeah. it's really hard, especially nowadays where, you know, a record could pop on TikTok, you know, or Instagram. It's really hard to manage that by yourself. Yeah. It's really hard to identify where something could be successful mm-hmm. um, or how to even get it to the place where it's successful alone. Yeah. You know, and it's also very lonely. Mm-hmm. This is a long, and right now to be an artist and trying to make it happen on your own is a very lonely experience. Mm-hmm. So if you could just even start off as having a friend who's just willing to get in the mud with you. Yeah. Start now. Totally agree. Um, along those same lines, what should artists look for in a manager? Passion. Mm-hmm. Passion. I think a manager has to be just as passionate about their part of the role in the relationship um, as you are about the music. Yeah. You know, Um, they have to wake up and see the same level of, you know, how do you say that? I I think managers or partners are artists Mm -hmm. in their own, in their own respect, you know, and they have to see their careers the same way. And you have to have passion to see your career like that, you know? Um, So I would say the first thing that you should look for is passion in a manager. Um, the second thing you should look for is someone who is willing to learn. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to necessarily be someone who knows everything. Right. Just someone who's willing to learn. Mm-hmm. Someone who's like, you know what? We need to, you know, we need to uh, register your music on Song Trust, right? Because no one's giving us a publishing deal right now, you know? They need to know that. Yeah. But to know that, you need to research. To research, you need to go online to, you know, seek out information, ask people, talk to people. Mm-hmm. Educating yourself is so important as a manager. Even someone who doesn't even, you know, you may not be 15 years in yeah. or have the experience that I have. Maybe you just woke up yesterday and said, I want to be a manager. Mm-hmm. Educate yourself. When I was trying to manage myself as an artist before there was Instagram and stuff, I had piles of paper mm-hmm. that I printed off the internet from 
advice columns to books to ebooks to articles and constantly educating myself about the music business constantly educating myself about creative constantly educating myself about how to record sound like you have to be to be a solid manager you have to seek out information if you have a manager who seeks out information as much as you seek out music Mm -hmm. that's your guy that's right and um a lot of times people say about managers that uh, managers are a Jane of all trades, master of none. So that's, you know, that's why you have to do that. And, you know, like we talked about with distribution, when, when folks buy things from you directly, you know who they are, you see who they are. So that's the case with the book this podcast is based on. So um, I was so flattered by this, but I've seen managers from the biggest management companies in the world buy this book because they're trying to figure it out too. And I would write back. I was like, oh my gosh, like, thank you. And a lot of it was during the pandemic, you know, and someone from Red Light or someone from Q Prime would be like, you know what, we have, we, we normally have uh, huge artists on the road, but now I want to double check those royalties or I want to learn a little bit more about publishing. So I, yeah, you're exactly right. Um, Education is the most important thing I think a manager can do. We're also in like an ever evolving, um, you know, just ecosystem when it yeah. comes to art, how art is distributed, how art is received, how the audience perceives art, you know what I mean? So it's like, if you, if you're still thinking the way they thought five years ago or 10 years ago, like you might as well just do something else, you know, you have to constantly be on top of like what's changing, what's Mm -hmm. changing, even in legal, like, um, one point the lawyers decided to make a standard agreement that they would share amongst all the lawyers Mm -hmm. so that they don't have to keep renegotiating production agreements with, um, with uh, labels. Mm -hmm. That was multiple firms deciding together that they were going to use the same blanket form moving forward when they go to record labels to cut down the time that Mm -hmm. you spend negotiating producer agreements. Right. Right. You have to seek that information out to know that as a manager, you have to know that that's happening, you know? So you have to constantly be on the lookout for like what's new, what's going on, who's doing this, who's doing that, you know, what education should I get? If you can go back to school, go back to school. If you can take a couple courses, take a couple courses. But education is like the most important thing as a manager. Yeah. And I love what you said about passion, because again, in my experience, there there's often this stereotype of this guy on the 50th floor and he's going to change my life. Don't overlook um, someone that's on a professional music industry path who's young. You know, like I started um, working with the Dresden Dolls when I was in college and that ended up being really mutually beneficial because they were a band on the rise. I was, I had a lot of time. I was hungry. I was passionate. Um, So we really grew up professionally together. Now, what I've seen, because management is interesting. You don't need a degree. You don't need a license, right? Like some other jobs in the industry. Um, So on one hand, anyone can do it. So don't overlook someone who, again, in my opinion, is on a professional path. What I think you do need to be mindful of, which can be really hard to see as an artist, and I'll explain why, is any sort of like sycophant that's really like obsessed with the artist. And again, from the artist's perspective, it's like, oh my gosh, this person wants to work on my career 24-7. They're obsessed with me. But I've seen that go really bad when maybe they're like yelling and screaming on your behalf because they're like so obsessed with you. And really to bring that example to life, if you guys have seen um, Bohemian Rhapsody, um, so Queen gets big, 
And then Freddie has that lover who's like the engineer or he works at the label or something and is whispering in his ear like, oh, you don't need them and your manager sucks. Just work with me, you know, um, and then everything falls apart. So you, you want to find someone with passion. But in my opinion, someone that's on a professional music industry path who sees that, you know what, like even if um, the manager needs to push back on something, it's, you know, like Kevin Lyman always says to me, long game, right? Like it's about the long-term relationship, not just... Um, uh, what's what's that phrase? Uh, just setting it on fire, right? That's not the right phrase, but right. you know absolutely, what I mean. Absolutely, absolutely. So, how can artists maximize working with managers? I mean, we've definitely touched on that. Um, how can they make your life easier, which is actually going to benefit them in the long term? I think communication. Yeah, I think communication. I think um, like understanding why, why I always say passion, not fanatic, but, um, mm-hmm. but passion, because I've seen artists leave one manager who was passionate mm-hmm. about them to go to another manager because they perceived relationships. Yeah. Right. And now nothing's happening. Right. You know what I mean? This, this manager's got three or four other artists mm-hmm. that they're more focused on and you're kind of like low on the priority list for them or whatever. Um, you, having someone who's going to like really truly stand by you is like super, super important. I'm sorry. Can you repeat the question? Oh yeah, sure. Um, how can artists maximize working with managers? Got it. So ultimately I feel like you need to be, you need to treat your manager like your partner. Right. right? And together y'all need to talk about things together. Y'all need to make decisions to get, don't look at yourself as like, um, Oh, because I'm an artist, that's not my job. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. because I'm an artist, I don't need to know about that. I don't care about that or whatever. You totally. decide. Like, work together on yeah. everything. Like, if your art, if your manager, your manager should feel comfortable to come to you and say, hey, I'm thinking this timeline. Mm-hmm. What do you think? You know? And actually have an opinion. Actually mm-hmm. have an opinion. Actually offer an opinion. Um, I think the, the, the best thing that an artist can do is don't just look at yourself as just an artist. Yeah. Right? Try to look at yourself as a partner, mm-hmm. a partner in a company that you and this person are own and develop and building and growing together, you know, like exactly what you call the CEO, mm-hmm. you know, see yourself really as a CEO. And I think if you're, if you're able to do that, artists who I know that do that with their managers are the ones who have the longest careers yeah. and whose um, trajectory is quick. Yeah. And you approve everything, you know, like the artists I worked with probably got sick of approving stuff, but it's also like to protect us, right? Because you don't want someone coming back and being like, well, I didn't get approval on signing that or even that artwork or whatever. So absolutely, absolutely. I mean, you can get definitely get to a place where, um, you know, you and your manager finishes each other's sentences. So they kind of already know what you're going to say. You can definitely get to that place. Um, But if you have a solid manager, they're pretty much running most things by you, um, you know, because they want you to know. Um, But I do feel like it's very important to be just as engaged as you want the manager to be. That's very, very important. Now, you do have to tap out sometimes because to be creative and to be artistic, you know, you can't get overwhelmed and boggled down by the details, right? Um, But I do think that you should carve out some time for the details, you know, and do the best that you can to try to absorb it and understand it, Mm -hmm. you know, because I think sometimes you'll talk 
to an artist and it goes right over their head. Yeah. And then, you know, a couple weeks later, they're like, oh, you never told me that. You're like, no, I spent about an hour telling you that, you know, try to really be tapped in, be tapped in and understand that it's more than just the art. Like this is a business, especially where you're not guaranteed to get a record label, right? You're not guaranteed to get a record deal. You're not guaranteed to get a publishing deal. Your livelihood is those streams, you know, is those sales, is the money that you make as an artist. That is your livelihood. And frankly, your legacy. Yeah. And, you know, the music is going to live there past you. Mm -hmm. So just even understanding what happens when the music happens when you're not here and the music still is like those type of conversations really be tapped in to your career. Definitely. And again, you know, your manager is a human and kind of think about that as far as reality goes, because it's like we're recording this on a Friday afternoon. So if an artist reaches if an artist reaches out to you today and says, hey, Christina, did you hear back from this person? And you say no. There's no point in following up again Monday morning. It's just clogging <laughs> up your message situation. 1,000%. But they will follow up Monday morning. 1,000, um, 1,000%. Um, respect. Yeah. Like, that is so, man, respect. Mm-hmm. Respect. I think, I hate to, to admit it. But it's really hard to come by. Mm-hmm. It's really hard to come by, especially um, in the artist-manager relationship. Yeah. You know? Um, I think sometimes there's a disconnect between mm-hmm. you think that this person works for you versus works with you. Yes. And then that almost dehumanizes them in mm-hmm. a sense, you know? I think respect is so important. Like, if you want to... If you want to have the best relationship with your manager and you want to help your manager and you want to help your manager help you, you got to respect them first. Show respect first, you know, because you'll be amazed how much comes out of just that simple, you know, act. Yeah, absolutely. And as we mentioned, managers work on commission. So we live and die based on what you make, which is why I think like historically managers can get kind of a bad rap where it's just like in reality, it's just like. I mean, that's how I learned all this stuff because I had to figure out like what actually helps artists and and what doesn't. So, um, you know, let, we'll just wrap up talking about managers with a little bit more on, on how they get paid. Um, so you mentioned, you know, um, you know, it can be 15, 20 percent. Um, you can negotiate some deductions. I feel like um, artists I manage always wanted sound and lights deducted. And I'm like, you're not even carrying production yet, but okay, fine. You know, you can deduct that. (laughs) Um, Artists also cover all of the manager's expenses with your approval. Um, So I assume, you know, one of your artists, or you you can't just go book a first class flight and then, you know, charge it to the artist. Um, And again, I would like have them over approve. They probably got sick of it. Um, maybe, maybe not like stamps or whatever, but you can also build in there like, okay, um, the artist approves any expenses, um, over $50. So if there is some shipping and stuff like that. Um, but what's, what is post-term in a management agreement? What's like a sunset clause? So a sunset clause is when the artist manager relationship has ended, you know, typically when it's not terminated, but when it has ended yeah. um, mutually, mm-hmm. uh, the manager receives residuals from the time that they were working with the artist. That's right. Um, they tend not to receive anything that the artist makes post the relationship. Mm-hmm. So if the relationship ended today, you don't get anything that the artist makes tomorrow. 
with the exception that anything that the manager had negotiated during the term that does not get paid out until tomorrow, they would have rights to that. Mm -hmm. Um, But they would still collect for whatever they did during the term. Yeah, exactly. And so traditionally, um, management contracts, uh, and they still do, have term lengths. So you might sign up to work with a manager for a year or three years or five years. I wasn't super comfortable with that when I was managing artists because I'm like, if someone doesn't want to work with me, I don't want them counting down the days until they can get rid of me. Um, So we came up with something um, that my attorney coined uh, a mirrored term. And that's how we handled post-term. Because also in post-term, I didn't really love the idea of um, commissioning in perpetuity on the things that I worked on, which in hindsight, I did set some artists up with some things that they will be benefiting um, forever on. Um, But what we came up with and and artists have always really liked is if I worked with an artist a year, I get a year of post-term commission on what I worked on. Or if I worked with them for three years, I get three years. um, And that always seemed um, really fair. Um, Do you mind if I ask, do you do management contracts with your artists? So it's interesting because as you were talking about this just now, I was just thinking to myself, I, I, everyone's different. Yeah. I would never do a management contract. Mm -hmm. Um, I did it before. Um, Let me rephrase that. If like Katy Perry was like, hey, X, do you want to manage me? I do a management contract with Katy Perry, right? Totally. Like she's already lit. She's already Mm -hmm. making money. I'm probably going to start receiving income the minute that I sign my name on the dotted line. Yeah. It's very different than working with an artist who isn't making anything, barely making anything, right? Yeah. As a manager, and I, and we left this out on in terms of like management contribution and what managers do, when an artist isn't even in a place where they have any money, they're working at the Starbucks, you know how, how much a manager actually has to invest yeah. in an artist's career? Mm-hmm. A lot of times, especially in this day and age where you kind of have to blow up the artist before anyone even thinks about them, mm-hmm. it's a, costs a lot of money to blow up an artist. It's yeah. very expensive, very expensive. And if you have a creative that's only creating, they're not working a day job, the only income coming in really is yours. Yeah. So as a, as a manager, you have to almost to a sense be willing to invest mm-hmm. in developing and growing an artist. I say that to say... Because of that, I don't do management agreements. Mm -hmm. The reality of it is, is that we are in a partnership. The minute that I decide that I'm going to invest in your career, whether it be my time or my money or whatever the case may be, we have become partners. Mm -hmm. So with that said, every agreement that I do, it's a long-term agreement. Mm -hmm. A conversation has to be had if you don't want to work with me anymore and I don't want to work with you anymore or it's a mutual agree of of, of us not working. Mm -hmm. We sit down and we talk about it the same way, you know, Steve Jobs probably talks to his partner about the dissolving of Apple. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like we talk about it at a very high level. It isn't just, oh, well, you've been with me for two years. I'll give you two more years of pay. Right. No, because sometimes... You know, even if you think about the music, I put you in the studio with a producer you never have ever heard of before, mm-hmm. right? And I say this to say, I say this because I had the experience of managing an artist who right now is a global superstar. Mm-hmm. A nightmare for me, because at the time I didn't have a contract. And even if I did have a contract, it would have had a sunset clause, right? It took that artist, it took me about a year and a half to blow that artist up to the point where anybody even cared about who they were. Mm -hmm. 
we didn't continue, but I would have had a year and a half sunset clause. Yeah. It took another three, four years for that artist to become what you pro- what you know is going to be a sure, fo- sure shot that they're going to be a global superstar. Mm-hmm. So my year and a half would have been done yeah. by the time they even made any real money. Mm-hmm. But the time, to- the work that you put in that first year, that first two years, that groundwork, that hard work, that dirty work, mm-hmm. that's the hardest job. Yeah. Once the artist gets to a point where you're just fielding phone calls for the most part, that's easy. It's getting people to care enough to call. Mm -hmm. That's the hardest job. So when you have a manager who's been involved with you at that level Mm -hmm. and at that time in your career, how do you just say, oh, hey, I'm just going to give you, you know, two more years? Yeah, totally. You, You know what I mean? So I think... I think that now the way that the structure of the, of the music businesses and the way that the industry works, I think that partnerships yeah. should be the standard when it comes to artist management. Yeah, 100%. And it's very similar to like when we talked about songwriting splits. Have this conversation, throw it in an email, and then say, hey, I'm going to, you know, if you're a manager, um, hey, I'm going to email you what we discussed. Please respond to confirm because... I've had very similar experiences. You know, when I was a young manager starting out, we would do these big management agreements and almost every manager we've had on the podcast doesn't do that anymore. Now you have an agreement. It's not like literally a handshake deal. Like, okay, that's it. You know, you agree to the terms in email. um, But that email is as enforceable as the management agreement. And for me, it was really disheartening, which is what you're saying too, is like, you take on a brand new artist and it's like, okay, artist, now you have to spend $3,000 on an attorney negotiating this agreement. I'd rather get to work, mm-hmm. you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. I remember borrowing money from my 401k oh. to shoot a music video. Oh. You're a good person. Like one of my artists lived in my house for yeah. two years. Mm-hmm. There is no conversation of, oh, two years sunset club. No way. Right. No way. You'd be amazed how much of a sacrifice th- that managers yeah, ha- you know, have mm-hmm. when it comes to managing artists, it's a yeah. huge, huge, huge sacrifice. So I don't, I don't really believe in that mm-hmm. anymore. But yeah, I hope that answered the question. It totally <laughs> does. And like, keep that in mind. You know, sometimes when artists are like, "Oh, well, I'm paying this commission on the thing that I got through another artist or a friend or whatever." Like, managers do so much um, non-commissionable work, whether it's putting the artists up, or you said being the therapist or whatever, or promo stuff, right? And I think there was like a study 10 years ago or something breaking down even what like huge managers make. It's like below minimum wage because you spend so much time on non-commissionable work building the artist up. Absolutely. So be nice to your manager, like I said. (laughs) All right. So let's move on to booking agents. What does a booking agent do? What's a booking agent do? So a booking agent is... So what is a booking agent doing? What is a booking agent supposed to do? <laughs> um, a booking agent is a part is a part of your team, a part of your team that builds out your touring strategy mm-hmm. and sets the touring goals for your future. That is a booking agent. Um, that booking agent is the person who, you know, before you even get to the point where they know you're going to sell out shows, mm-hmm. right? The booking agent is keeping an eye on, you know, the the audience desire for you, right? right. Like the market's desire for you. Um, they're reaching out to venues and, you know, determining and promoters and determining the value of whether or not you can play a show in a particular city. Um, they're making sure that, 
they're interacting and connecting you with promoters that are going to truly get behind, you know, the sa the sales of tickets and things like that in the market. And ultimately, build, they're your manager when it comes to your touring business, right? Their job is to develop and strategize a touring plan that's ultimately going to lead to a, tour a successful touring business. That's right. And how do booking agents get paid? Percentage. That's right. 10% <laughs> is what they get just on your live shows, not on your merch, not on anything else. And that also allows um, booking agents to uh, generally take on more artists than a manager does. Like what we described is so full on most. And like how many management clients do you have? I have four. Right. I, and that's what I would have guessed mm -hmm. um, because it, you're working on every single aspect. A booking agent might have like 50 because they are just booking gigs. And sometimes the artist is on tour and, and sometimes they're not. So how can artists and managers best support the booking agent that they're working with? I would say communication. Yeah. Because they work with so many other people, um, you need to tap in with them a mm -hmm. lot more than you think that they should tap in with you. Yeah. Um, totally. And I had to learn that as a manager. Um, I, I hate it, like, following up. You know what I mean? It's like following up, following up. I'm like, how many times am I going to follow up with you? But then I have yeah. to understand that, one, they're not involved in every second of the day as I am, right? Mm -hmm. um, and they also have other people that they're working with. So, um, but, yeah, I would say communication, communicating, keeping them updated on rollout plans, on yeah. schedules. If you see a spike in, like, the artist streams or the artist engagement in a particular city, mm -hmm. communicate that. Yeah. As much as you can communicate your artist's um, rollout strategy, yeah. um, your artist's ultimate, like, you know, year, two year, three year, four, five year goals, um, in the artist data, yeah. as much as you can do that with your booking agent, I think the healthier your relationship will be. Um, and then also keep them abreast to um, every evolving artist expectations, yeah. right? Because sometimes an artist may, you know, you may be comfortable with supporting for the first year or two. Mm -hmm. But then you get to a point where you're like, I don't want to support anybody anymore. Now I want to do headline shows, right? Mm -hmm. And when an artist gets to that place, you have to be able to communicate that to the booking agent um, and have a conversation about whether or not that's realistic, right? Um, but also whether or not they're willing to go out and take the shot. So I think really um, the best thing that you can do to help your relationship with your booking agent, um, you and your manager together, is to just to communicate to really communicate and to keep them abreast to how things are evolving and how things are changing, you know, whether it seems small or not. So brilliant. Um, you know, and what Xtina is talking about is lead time. You know, I've definitely seen, seen managers go to agents like, okay, we're, we have a release in three weeks. And it's just like, especially post pandemic, you need to give, you know, like you said, it, it can be a year notice sometimes like massive artists and large venues book out you know, before the pandemic, a year in advance. Now it's like 18 months. Um, when we had Peter Shapiro on, he's like, you know, it's more like six months kind of at the Brooklyn Bowl level. Um, but that's not three weeks, you know? So lead time, I loved what you said about data. Mm -hmm. I totally agree with that. I don't feel like the, that's so smart. I don't feel like the live industry is nearly taking, is not taking advantage of data nearly as much as they should, right? So Xtina can go to the booking agents and be like, oh, Duckworth is really popping off in Buenos Aires or in Southeast Asia, right? Like go like arm the booking agent um, with that information. And then I love what you said about communication, right? Because you really need to be, uh, 
this whole industry is relationships and you really need to be clear about expectations. So sometimes there can be managers or artists um, that yell and scream demanding to be like the main stage on Coachella or why am I like, why, why don't I have a, I have a bigger font on this festival bill? Like I would always work with booking agents really realistically, like, Hey, let's put our heads together and figure out what festivals are right for this artist instead of it just being this, you know, complaining about font sizes. And then sometimes it's also, um, I think you should have a deep relationship with everybody on your team um, because that's yeah. how you're able to like even discuss, okay, my artist didn't get on this festival, right? Mm-hmm. And you, in your mind and in the artist's mind, you're like, totally should have been on this festival. Look mm-hmm. at the lineup, right? Yeah. And then maybe it's a relationship thing, yes. right? Maybe it's the booking agent's relationship. It's lukewarm mm-hmm. with the promoter, you know? And maybe if you reach out to the promoter or you talk to the promoter or you can send the artist to yeah. the next show backstage to say what's up to the promoter, like yeah. really talking to each other about how to achieve the goals that mm-hmm. you guys have set out, you know? Yeah. Um, with one of the artists that I work with, we wanted to do nothing but festivals this past summer. Mm-hmm. And last last summer that passed and we just really sat down and talked about all the festivals and who do we need to talk to to get him on the bill? Mm -hmm. Who do we need to be friends with? Who we need to send a CD vinyl T-shirt to like really, really sitting down and talking together about how to achieve the goals, I think, is the most important thing you can do. Yeah, I love that. And you mentioned support slots. How do artists land support or opening slots? Nowadays, be friends with the artist. That's right. Be friends with the artist. This mm-hmm. idea, like, it's so crazy to me. And I think some some artists are just understanding it now. But it's like, oh, let me call my manager to call the artist for a feature. And you're like, call the artist manager for a feature. Yeah. You're like, the artist manager can't convince the artist to give you a feature. You know totally. what I mean? Like, you have to connect with the creative community. Mm-hmm. It's my job to connect with the other managers. It's my job to connect with radio record label executives. It's my mm-hmm. job to connect at that business level. Yeah. It is your job to connect at the creative level, you know? And that's where the team it goes back to what we talked about, about the team effort thing, mm-hmm. you know? We both have to be doing doing our jobs in our space, right? Now, it may be an artist that I do know, or maybe I have a close relationship with that artist. And I'm like, hey, put my artist on, you know. But most people, most artists want to bring people on the road with them that they know, that they like, or whose music that they like. And the worst thing for a manager is to reach out and they're like, "Mm." you know, the slot is open Mm -hmm. and they're still like, "Mm." yeah, you know, that's like the worst way to find that an artist doesn't like your Mm -hmm. artist's music. Exactly. So it's it's artist to artist relationships. Um, And a lot of times people think, oh, if I get a booking agent, then I'll get these support slots. But it's exactly like it's exactly right. And it goes back to what we were talking about before. It's approval. Right. So it's like even if Xtina is hitting up the manager of the artist you want to open for, it's that headlining artist that's going to approve that or not at the end of the day. Like ninety nine percent of the tours, uh, the support slots booked it ultimately comes down to the headlining artist. Yeah. And then yeah. sometimes even as a manager, you'll be like, oh, I think you can be on this bill. And you tell the artist, yeah. DM this artist, you yeah. know, or sometimes you'll be like, are you following them on Instagram? Totally. You know, yeah. follow that artist on yes. Instagram. Don't ask me why you're in, don't ask me about supporting an artist that you're not yes. following on Instagram. Yeah. You know what I mean? I know mm-hmm. that sounds super petty, but no. it's real. Like if yeah. you don't care about that artist and you don't listen to their music, why do you want to be on their tour? That's right. Yeah, it's artist-to-artist relationships. And for anyone that's toured, it's traveling together. So like you said, you want to be traveling with with people that you like and people that you're comfortable with. Do your artists have international booking agents? 
I do. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So can you share a little bit how that works, like um, territory-wise? So mm, most artists in, well, in my experience at least, um, most of my artists, their international booking agents are in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Um they may have like uh, the agency may have like partners and, you know, uh, people that work at the firm outside of the U.S., mm-hmm. but their their agents are U.S. based agents. Yeah. Um, it works in a very similar way. It works in a very similar way. Um, just building a plan. Yeah. Building a plan, keeping your eye on the data. I mm-hmm. think in, in the international market, that's even more important than yeah. U.S., touring because you can take a chance on 150 200 cat room in the states right maybe you might sell 100 tickets by inviting people that you are cool with you on ig right um but internationally like you really have to know that when you get out there that there's going to be people in the room yeah it's expensive Mm -hmm. it's very expensive to tour internationally so if you don't have the data you don't have the stats you shouldn't be having the conversation right but what you can do is you can start marketing in those markets you can make sure that you are focusing your attention on the you know um your release strategy or your album strategy or your single strategy to double down a little bit more on the markets that you want to go to. But I think ultimately your data is more important than sometimes even your relationships on the international side. Yeah. And it's like we talked about in the touring episode, like what booking agents are looking for. Yes, they love music, but they're looking for hard ticket sales. They want to know how many tickets you sell in these markets. Um, Does one last uh, booking agent question. Does one generally sign a contract with a booking agent? So my first contract that I've ever actually seen with a booking agent was recently. Mm. Um, And it was an international agent um, out of the UK. And I guess it's a new rule in Mm. the UK now. It wasn't there before. I don't remember ever seeing that before. Um, But I guess it's a new rule in the UK where you have to do a um, a letter of engagement. Okay. Um, which pretty pretty much outlines their responsibilities and sure. roles to the artists and what the percentages are and all that other stuff. Um, prior to that, I've never seen a, yeah. a contract from a booking agent. Um, we do sign like uh, notes for like the finance finances mm-hmm. and like how does the finances get paid out and making sure you have they, they have your banking information mm-hmm. and things like that. But a formal contract, I've never done yeah. a formal contract. Exactly. And I learned that as a young manager, there was an amazing uh, Canadian band called Die Mannequin that I saw that just like blew my mind at the Mercury Lounge and they had management, but they needed a U.S. booking agent. Um, and luckily the management company I was working for at the time had um, an agency as well. And so um, I became their booking agent, learned really fast. I was a better manager than booking agent, but that's a whole other thing. Um, but I, I remember asking um, Christine Stouter on our team, like, okay, so do we sign an agreement? She's like, no, it's just 10%, 10% of the gross booking. So, yeah. Cool. So um, just a couple more team members to cover, and then we'll uh, open it up to the audience. What is a business manager in the entertainment industry? So a business manager, I mean, there's a couple of, of different ways that you can... Um, that you can play this one out, right? You have a business manager, your business manager does your taxes. Mm-hmm. Make sure that, you know, your your revenue is being collected, Make sure, making sure that people are being invoiced and invoices are being paid. They're tracking your money. They're tracking whether or not you are um, receiving all of mm-hmm. the, all of your, your money. Um, and then 
filing your taxes, making sure that you are paying Uncle Sam um, and not, you know, getting in in, in any uh, financial trouble with the IRS. Um, And then they are discussing with you future investments. Mm -hmm. That's what a good business manager is doing. Um, And usually, especially at an early point in your career, your business manager is your manager, you know. Um, But when you get to a point where you're, your income is so significant or it's so consistent that it's almost a difficult to manage. Yeah. You do want to maybe start talking about a business manager. Yeah, I totally agree with that. You know, when, um, like when does an artist need a business manager? It's when they start asking those questions, yeah. I feel like is when they need a business manager. And yeah, they, you know, it's interesting because the title is a little confusing. Sometimes people from outside the industry would think like, you're a business manager because it's like managing the business. But like you said, it's basically an accountant slash bookkeeper that specializes in our weird world of music and entertainment and all these royalties. They can also help um, with budgets, with gear insurance. I just saw, um, I, I forget who the artist was, but it was like a 90s artist just had their gear stolen on the road. You know, please bring your gear into the hotel room, even if it's 3 a.m. You know, don't leave it in the trailer outside, but God forbid anything happens to your gear you know, you want to make sure you have um, insurance. And, and that's where a manager comes into play. Yeah. Right. Because business managers, they want their money. Yeah. They understand how money works. So they want their 5% or yep. 10% or whatever you're agreeing to give your business manager. And especially at an early point in your career, you probably need all your money to invest yeah. in your music or your marketing, your promo or your rent or whatever the case may be. So some artists don't even have that. And frankly, some business managers won't even pick you up as a client right. unless you're making a certain amount of money anyway. Yeah. Um, so your business manager a lot of times ends up being your manager mm-hmm. um, until you get to a place where it makes any sense yeah. for a business manager to get involved. Definitely. And I mentioned in the revenue stream checklist episode in the book this podcast is based on, I have a public Google spreadsheet where you can plug in all of your revenue streams. And I think it's really important to do that with your with your business manager to double check. Um, because I actually came up with that um, for the last few artists I managed and there were blanks in the spreadsheet, which meant the artist was missing money. So I love the business managers I work with, but they are humans too. They have a lot of clients. And so again, for me as a manager, that's what I'm living and dying on. So I want to make sure you're getting all your money because that's how I get paid too. So you can double check that um, with the public, you know, Google spreadsheet that I created. And there are there is business manager software that's starting to exist. A lot of it is invite only. I cannot wait until that's public for everyone because it totally should be automated. Um, and there's a lot, there's definitely a lot of software and resources, yeah. um, you know, kind of goes back to the education mm-hmm. part of things, but there's a lot of software and, res- and um, resources available for, to help and assist you in that process, you know, until it gets to a place where it's unmanageable for you. Yeah, absolutely. So some other team members that um, artists might have can include a label or distribution company. Um, is that why radio was really initially formed to kind of solve some of these problems? As a, as a, as a distribution? And- yeah, because you guys do, some, you know, label work, distribution work. It's like that's obviously, you know, outside of kind of the traditional system. So radio, um, I, I can't really speak too, too much to that because I didn't start the company. Yeah. It was already existing before I came. Um, but I know that Issa always wanted to be in the music industry. Yeah. I know she used to actually, you know, be an aspiring artist herself. And so 
I think that was what mm-hmm. propelled them yeah. to start radio as a label um, and, and as a publishing company. I think publishing only made sense because mm-hmm. how successful they are yeah. um, in the music supervision space and in the sync space. It was only yeah. natural that they would. For sure. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, we covered this in the distribution episode, but obviously you can distribute yourself, right, by a, you know, CD Baby TuneCore like we talked about. There's also distribution companies like Symphonic, Red Eye, The Orchard. They're going to take like 10 to 20 percent of your streaming income only. Of course, if you have the opportunity to sign with an indie label, um, those percentages can range from 80-20 in your favor to 80-20 in their favor. Generally, it's more like 50-50 um, when you're working with an indie label team. And a major label is also negotiable roughly 90% in their favor, 10% in yours. Um, recording ownership can can vary in the indie world and even in the major label world. I know I re- referenced this, but I interviewed um, Freddie Gibbs' manager, and they worked for like 10 years on their own and now licensed their releases to major labels. But I'd be remiss to not mention you know, distribution um, and, and label teams. Um, so again, same question for publishing and sync, you know, how do, how do you work with those team members for your artists? So on the publishing side, so I do a lot independently. Um, none of my artists have publishing deals, Mm -hmm. so I do all their publishing stuff on my own. Mm -hmm. So when they get sync opportunities, it comes to me, I clear, you know, on the master side, as well as their share of the publishing. Um, and I've done that for so long that we, I won't even, we're not really that pressed to go to like a publishing company. Um, I've built up a lot of relationships in the sync space. So I usually will pitch out their music as soon as it comes in um, to get opportunities for them. Um, But yeah, in the publishing and sync sync space, we go out, we pitch records, you know, we make sure one, that you have all your splits. So Mm -hmm. we do that out the gate. We do that from the very beginning, making sure that we have all our splits. And then I learned very quickly to make sure you have all the contact information for everyone that you split the records with. So because most, most music supervisors, they want a quick clearance process. Mm-hmm. That's like the most important thing in the sync world is how quickly and how painlessly can I clear this record? And that could make or break. That's like a life or death scenario mm-hmm. for whether or not your record will make it into a show oh, yeah. or get placed in a show or even how many syncs you'll get. Mm-hmm. So um, in that in that way, I do all of my artists um, publishing registering um one of my artists we did we did sign up with song trust which Mm -hmm. is amazing Mm -hmm. i love i love song trust um but we did do we did sign up with them i don't clear my sync sync licenses through them i claim my sync licenses direct um but they do handle the collection of his royalties and things like that across the world i'm a big song trust fan too and actually i learned not that you need this because you totally have experience but if you are with song trust because they don't do sync pitching but if you have a sync request come in, you can take it to them because it's the downtown music team and work with one of their team members to help you work that up. Um, so that's something I learned um, interviewing them on this. Podcast. Yeah, absolutely. We had the um, the option to mm-hmm. use them. Right. So it, 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 what I loved about them is that they didn't you didn't have to do that. Exactly. Like you have yeah. the option. Um, so we did have the option to clear to yeah. let them clear our records, even though they don't actually go out and right. um, pitch the records. But I had a system mm-hmm. um, for clearances. So I just kept it in my in my world. Yeah. And um, because you're a really amazing manager and going above and beyond and doing all that, like <laughs> it's very, very impressive. Um, so, again, I know we did a deep dive on this in episode five. Um 
But, you know, you can collect on your publishing with Song Trust, or if you have the opportunity to sign a publishing deal, you can do an administrative deal where you own the rights or a co-publishing deal where you're going to give up a portion of copyright. Make sure you are getting a fat, life-changing advance if you do that. Um, and if you're working with someone like Song Trust and you don't have an amazing manager like Extina with all of these awesome music supervisor relationships, um, you can get going with um, music libraries like Jingle Punks for sync pitching or more selective sync companies like Music Alternatives, Terror Bird, Bank Robber. Um, I'm missing some others, but you can go back to that episode um, to check it out. And also when you're working with a publishing or sync company, again, um, you want to make their life as easy as possible. So, um, you know, give them information on your career, like, you know, once, twice a month, not every day, not on holidays, but it's like, here's, um, you know, press I'm getting, here's tour dates I have coming up. You're always welcome to the guest list. So is your team. Um, so are, so are music supervisors. Another valuable, um, way of building that, that relationship is, uh, sync showcases. Yeah. So like, if you have an opportunity to perform at a sync showcase, like take it, you know, because it it really does make a difference that FaceTime Mm -hmm. that you have with music supervisors. Um, and a, and a lot of established artists don't necessarily want to do it. Right. So I think it's like a gaping hole of opportunity for artists that are trying to get on in that space. Um, Um, But yeah, definitely. Such a good point. Um, So, you know, offer that up to your publisher, to your sync team. I know it's painful, but I've definitely had artists do like under fluorescent lights, lunchtime acoustic shows, but like at a big ad agency. And like those people are psyched to have like their pizza for lunch and and check you out, you know, and it really makes a difference. It makes a huge difference. Totally agree. Do your artists ever work with independent publicists, radio radio promoters, or social media teams? All the time, all the time. All of my artists are independent. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're constantly looking for the best and the brightest yeah. in all of those different spaces um, and developed quite a bit, quite a, a healthy relationship and a healthy contact list of smart people cool. that do a lot of really great, great work. Um, we have an independent publicist. Mm-hmm. Pretty much even when we were signed, we had independent publicists. Yeah. Um, I think it's a lot better to work with an independent, even if you have like a publicist through a label yeah. um, or through your distributor or whatever, I think it's always good to have your own. Yeah. It's always good to have your own. It's an expensive investment. Mm-hmm. It's a very expensive investment. And if you get fortunate enough to find someone that's willing to even um, join the team, right? Yeah. And maybe they take their 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 fees in percentages, mm-hmm. right? That's also the beautiful thing about being independent. You yeah. can decide how you want to split that those those royalty percentages. Um, and when you think about a record label, where you know you might have an 80-20 relationship in favor of the label, that eighty percent is really being divided amongst all of these people. They're paying to do the same job that you're hiring independents to do. But um, if you're lucky enough to have someone that believes in you, then maybe that is a good way to go. Mm -hmm. But it is an expensive investment. However, if you can find someone um, who can be a part of your journey, Mm -hmm. um, who can really tell your story, um, and who's with you long enough to tell it as it's evolving you will see the difference in how much press you get. Yeah. Um, the significance of the press you get. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also how you're perceived. Yes. You know, because I think the the publicist is very, it's a very important piece 
to um, communicating yeah. who you are, what you want to be, where you're going, where you're trying to go to the rest of the of the world. So, yeah, yeah. it's such a crucial tool, um, get, you know, getting those press hits like we talked about more, I, sometimes more than exposure often. Like like I said, that tool for the sync team. Do you mind if I ask um, who your publicist is? Because I saw some mutual follows on Instagram. Oh, my goodness. No. <laughs> So I have a I have a couple I have a couple okay. people that I work with. Um, I can tell you the people that I loved working yeah, with. Great, um, Carrie. Her name is Carrie. She's with TCBPR. She's amazing. Awesome. She's amazing and such a great communicator. Mm-hmm. Um, I love publicists who give you updates. Yes, like that. You'll be amazed how many publicists don't give updates. Totally. Even if you don't like the feedback, like yeah. you still want the feedback, right. you know. Or if you might be doing something that might be turning like the that community off you know mm-hmm. like the editorial community off like what do you do to change you know do should you change that should you flip that like seek out the feedback yeah um so carrie is great um biz three yeah i love them i love them um they're so smart mm-hmm. they've been doing this for so long their relationships are so strong um but also they are great with feedback. Yeah. They're great with feedback. Um, so those was those are the two that I would say I've had like the most the most glaring yeah. relationship with. Um, and then um there was Nick. Nick Daryl Daryl. He used to work with us at this company called Life or Death. Life cool. and Death. Um, and then he went on to create to create another um another um, another PR company yeah. on his own. Um, but he's he's amazing. Yeah. He's amazing, yeah. I don't. So um, Dana uh, Dana Meyerson um, is on our board. I run a nonprofit called I Voted. I don't make a PR decision without Dana. I am she's, so. She's a G. Yeah, she like is. she is a G. Like she's she's been doing this for a long time, and she's responsible for breaking so many yep. incredible artists in the music industry. So yeah, she's yeah. incredible. Yeah, shout out to Biz Three. So last uh, team member question. A merch company can also be another team member for an artist. How do your artists handle merch? So I have a great, 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 great relationship with um, with our merch team, um, which actually is our team. Like, yeah. so we 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 will not go anywhere else. We're not working with anyone else. Like, they do all of our um, shipping. Mm-hmm. They do you know all of our com- customer service and communication with you know fans and and people who purchase items. Mm-hmm. We go back and forth about designs. Like, we we have a really really strong relationship with our um, merch team. So yeah, yeah, fantastic. So we've shared a lot of info on how to do all the above on one's own. Oh, can I shout them real quick? Please, it's, please. It's Supply Local out of Chicago. I don't know if he wants to do this for everyone, <laughs> but he does it for us. Um, but they're, they've been, I can't even tell you. Like we yeah. shipped we shipped like 500 to 1,000 pieces of vinyl to them. Mm-hmm. I don't even know where they're storing it. Wow. But they have not complained. Um, and they handle getting all of that out to people with yeah. no problem and still find the time to respond mm-hmm. to inquiries over email and things like that. They, it's they there was that was my one of the last things I was able to add yeah. um, for us. And it's been life changing. Our wow. merch business is insane. Cool. Yeah. Love to hear it. So. In the modern music industry, there are managers who also run agencies, branding companies, merch companies, and more. Where do you see modern music management headed in the future? Partnerships, like I said. Mm-hmm. You know, I hope, I hope that 
Yeah. Um, am I understanding the question? Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, partnerships, partnerships. I think that um, it's easy to say, right? Not maybe not as easy to do. Um, but I also think it's a practice that you should have, whether you're going to be a partner or just a base, a simple manager, mm-hmm. is to get to know the person that you're working with, right? Yeah. Spend a little bit of time with them, um, you know, fill them out, understand what their values are and all mm-hmm. those things before you make a commitment. I think you need to do that even as a manager, to yeah. be fair. Um, but I think that modern management is going to be about partnerships. Yeah, It's going to be about the artist and the manager building something together, mm-hmm. building a business and a company together and then extending out past the music. You yeah. know, um, one of my friends, a really close friend of mine, um, he manages an artist who is hugely successful right now. And mm-hmm. I knew him when that artist was sleeping in his closet. Yeah. Right. Wow. Um, but that artist is now a global superstar, global superstar, but they've gone on to open up recording studios together. And like, so I think modern management is going to be exactly that. It's yeah. going to be a partnership. It's going to be an opportunity for both the artist and the manager to really evolve their business um, to a point where it's not solely reliant on, you know, streaming income and brand partnerships and things like that. You know, now yeah. you're talking about, Opening up companies together, mm-hmm. opening up business. Maybe the artist wants to get into TV and film. Maybe yeah. the artist wants to start a creative agency or a studio. Like doing those type of things with your manager and really building a sustainable company for the both of you. Beautiful. So last question for me. If artists have more than one team member in each category interested, so say there's multiple publicists interested or multiple agents interested, what are tips on how to decide on who they should work with? Hmm. Um, one, who did they work with before? Mm-hmm. Right. So as much as you can get like references, like find out who they worked with before. And I've even gone as far as to DMing the person that yeah. someone worked with before totally. to find out what they thought about them and yeah. if they thought it was a good experience. Um, so I think that's, that's definitely a, a, a very important vetting process. Mm-hmm. Um, how you guys, what's their communication style? Yeah. The communication style, like I said before, like, I don't want to work with a PR firm that doesn't give me updates. Totally. It doesn't have to be every day. It could be mm-hmm. once a week, once every two weeks. As long as I'm getting thorough and full on updates, I'm, yeah. I'm satisfied. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would think those are like the most, the two most important things. And one, one other thing that I would add is um, know when to trim the fat, yeah. as they say, right? Like if it's not working just move on. Yeah, totally. You know, I think that's like the toughest um, part when you're onboarding a team mm-hmm. and when you're trying to build a team around an artist is sometimes you stay in a situation longer than it's serving you or yeah. the other person because you feel uncomfortable to say, oh, this is not really working out, you know? Mm-hmm. But as a manager, it's like being HR. Yeah. You're HR for this company. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Sometimes you got to know when it's not working, you know what yeah. I'm saying? And you have to be able to identify that as quickly as possible because every relationship is costly. Yeah. You know? So I've definitely, um, through my education processes, Mm -hmm. I've definitely invested. And sometimes I invested even my own money to try something out. Yeah. Because I don't know what the outcome is going to be. I'm like, I'm going to test this out. If it works, then I'll invest their money. I'm going to invest only my money for now. Um, And then found out very quickly as a waste of my time. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Right. But I think, I think that's kind of the growing pains. You kind of got to go, how do you say, go through it to get to it, yeah. you know? Um, but I do think that you need to be able to decide very quickly yeah. if this person is a good fit, 
Mm-hmm. And if they're not, if that company or that partner or that third party is a good fit or they're not, like don't waste more time than you need to. Yeah. And I think that's great advice for um, when you're deciding on managers too. ask the other artists, ask the manager you're talking to, like, would you be my point manager? Is there a day to day manager? It doesn't mean that's good or bad. You know, like, like I said, I started working with the Dresden Dolls in college and then Mike Luba became their manager and we became a great team. And, like, he was a really um, righteous person where he'd be like, well, this is the Dresden Dolls' real manager, which was very kind. Um, but, like, I would, I really was managing the band, and then he was, I was, like, 23. So he was there when I had questions or I needed something. And, again, that was really smart from his perspective as partner in a management company because if you have good day-to-day managers, it allows you to take on more artists and, and everyone's working together. So don't be afraid to ask those questions. And I do think that that is the future of management, yeah. right? Like, I think there's a lot of companies that are building um, infrastructures yes. that will allow managers to tap into that infrastructure without losing, you know, yeah. their rights and their ownership and all mm-hmm. that to the business that they built with artists. And I think that's a beautiful thing to see because I feel yeah. like we were in a time, you know, some years back where artists were getting poached, right? Mm -hmm. Like that was the big thing. You saw somebody pop, you saw somebody getting ready to pop and you just poached them. Um, But I love that now you're seeing this growth of, um, of agencies yeah. that are just really focused on building support, support, fo- supporting infrastructures mm-hmm. for managers who don't have, you know, the funds or the the team or the infrastructure themselves. Yeah. Um, so I do feel like that's definitely the future yeah. of management for sure. Love it. Well, I've like picked your brain so deeply. Anything you want to add before we open it up to audience questions? Um, No, I think you did it. I know. That was a lot. We went in deep. (laughs) All right. So what do you want to know from Xtina? Get up to the audience, Mike, um, if you have a question. And please introduce yourself. Yeah, Drew, get up there. Not to uh, intimidate anyone, Drew tends to ask really deep questions. (laughs) So we'll see what this one is. In a good way. Hi, my name is Drew. Thank you so much. Hello. Very informative. Um, so you kind of answered it at the at the very end, um, but I was just sitting there thinking about um, uh, red flags. Mm. Like, you know, obviously you're in the very beginning, you're doing performances, faces are coming, you were talking about being poached, right? Mm-hmm. Faces are coming out of the crowd. I can do this for you. I can do that for you. Um, uh, you did a great job to give me an idea of what to expect. Cool. Um, so I think I have, I'm kind of comfortable, but are there any dramatic red flags that one should look for with when a manager is promising all these deliverables? And as you go through that journey, you know, since there's an agenda that's being laid out and no contract, is there any point where, you know, um, you say, I'm not getting the deliverables and, you know, how, how do you measure your manager's performance and say, you know, maybe it's time to change managers? <laughs> Oh, that's a that's an interesting question. Um, I'm a spiritual person, so it's you know it's it's a, a challenge to answer certain questions um, technically, right? Um, but I feel like if you're the type of artist that would be easily poached, then I shouldn't be managing you anyway, right? So we'll we'll start there because it's a, if you're doing a great job, if you're do, if you're killing it they're only going to get more successful. 
And if you have to worry about whether or not they're going to leave you to go to another manager or whether or not they're going to be easily, you know, distracted Mm -hmm. by another relationship, then you're already, you already shouldn't be there. Because otherwise, you know, what will happen is it's like uh, you'll be in a relationship where you feel like you can't give it 100%. If you're not giving it 100%, then you're not going to, the artist is not going to be successful. So it's almost like a catch-22, right? In the end of the day, if you're going to work with someone, it it should be somebody that you feel that you can trust in that way. And it kind of goes back to what I said about the first, very first question is don't let anybody get in between us. You know? Um, But from a technical perspective, paperwork. Because I say that with all the spiritual energy in the world, but I have paperwork. (laughs) So the minute that it's not when you decide you want to be with me, it's when I decide I want to be with you. That's when we get paperwork, right? If you don't want to sign this paperwork because maybe you're not ready, I'm ready and you're not, then, you know, we should slow roll this relationship a little bit, right? Um, You know, maybe we work on uh, eat what, what you kill scenario, but the minute that you have made a commitment, whether it's emotionally, financially, psychologically, paper, paper. I, 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 won't, I made that mistake one time, and it was probably one of the most devastating, devastating decisions in my career. Don't, don't, do, don't move without paperwork. Mm-hmm. And I'll, you know, mm. I'll add to, I mentioned before, to me, management is setting the short and long-term goals with the artist. So have clear goals. Because if you're saying to a manager, I want to be big, well, what does that mean? You know what I mean? It means like I'm selling X amount of tickets or I want this kind of press or I want to be landing sinks. So have those clearly defined goals and then you can work with the manager on how to achieve them instead of the arbitrary, I just want to be big. Or also admit when you don't have those clearly defined yeah, goals, right? Sure. Because there's some people that are just so talented. You know what I'm saying? Like Prince level, you know, talent, Amy Winehouse level talent. You're not going to be like, I'm not going to work with you because you don't have clear defined goals. You yeah. know what I mean? Like you, they have to be also open to accepting your clear defined goals. Yep. If you don't have, they don't have the answer, they have to be willing to receive the answer from you. Um, and as long as you are able to, one, measure the success of what you're doing right um and you're able to communicate that measure of success then you're you should always be on point but but again it depends on what level you are with an artist because an artist at a very early stage it may take them a year just to make a dollar yeah and everything that you're doing is just grinding every single day you know what i'm saying for nothing really you know, you're working a day job, they're yeah. working a day job. Like it's, you know, it takes a while. To, it takes a long time. I know artists right now that do pretty decently on Spotify. I don't know if you guys know how much Spotify streams make. It's not a lot. Um, they still work. They still have jobs, mm-hmm. you know? So I, I really feel like in the end of the day, you got to come into this knowing that it's going to be a lot of work. You have to be willing to make that commitment and you have to be willing to make it for someone who's willing to make that commitment back to you. If that is not happening, I I probably wouldn't manage anybody unless you were already making money and yeah. already have a pipeline of income. Right. And, I, you know, a lot of times I have the experience, too. It's like um, you might not like the answer to the question, but that's the answer to the question. So we took on an artist um, that was in pretty severe debt. And the first thing I said to her was, can you record a song? She said, yes. I'm like, great, let's get get it up on Bandcamp. And fans were paying um, on average like $10 per per song, like per, 
just for one song, right? And then she was super excited to get signed to an indie label. And I get that. But I was like, so 50% of your recording money is now going away. And it was still a financial struggle. Or an artist might say, I want to be on a tour bus. And then we might explain, well, that's going to cost $1,500, $2,000 a day, you know? So again, it, it goes back to what you were saying about communication. Yeah, definitely, definitely. But to, to answer your question, if you have to worry about that, then you probably shouldn't be managing that artist. That artist yeah. doesn't deserve you. Hmm. Very okay. powerful. Okay, thank, thank you. you. Anyone else? Trevor? No pressure? He's asked a question at every episode, so that's why I called Trevor. This is the closing one. Hey, my name is Trevor. Thanks for coming. Hi. Uh, learned a lot. I'm just trying to think of. I, I it's do, okay if you don't have one. No, I do. I do have okay. a question. I, I guess I have a few. I guess one is that having a manager. Do do managers specialize, or like, is one good music manager? Could they be in every genre? Or, for example, mm. does like a hip hop. Someone specializes in hip hop. Someone specializes in rock. Maybe a hip hop manager wouldn't be as good as for a rock artist. You know, is there like limitations? That's a great that's question. A, that's a great yeah. question. I don't even think I've ever been asked that question before. Um, yeah, ah, that's such a yes and no. Yes and no. I think you have managers who love rock. They don't care or love hip hop at all. You probably shouldn't be working with a hip hop artist, right. right? But if you're like a manager who's all genre, you love all genres of music, and especially nowadays because so many artists are genre bending, right? Mm -hmm. um, a lot of artists, you can't even really like, they have alternative hip hop and alternative R&B and it's alternative attached to everything now. Mm -hmm. um, I feel like you're, you'll find more managers now that can work across genres um, I think the thing that you have to be more careful about is cultural differences. Mm -hmm. I think that's more um, important, I guess, mm -hmm. and then genre differences. You mm -hmm. know, um, if you have a manager that doesn't understand the cultural dynamics of who you are, your audience, you know, how your audience consumes music, how your audience, you know, swipes on Instagram, right? They're probably not going to really be able to help you. You know, I had an artist um, who I'm friends with and I wasn't managing him, but every time I would go somewhere, he would be like, oh, how can I get in? Yeah. Right. And then I realized that his managers in, you know, I, I realized his managers weren't like me. Mm -hmm. Right. They didn't really have a lot of relationships in the hip hop community. Um, they didn't really have um, their relationships in the hip, hip, hip hop community were surface relationships. Right. Mm -hmm. Like they didn't go. They don't go to lunch with those people. They're not hanging out. They're not invited to the cool spots and stuff. Yeah. Um, so every time we would go out, I would have to get him. I would have to get a plus one for him, even though I wasn't managing him. And then it got to a point where he just said to me, hey, why is these things not happening for me? And I said, well, your managers are great. I know them. They're amazing people. But they don't have the cultural equity, mm -hmm. right? Because they're not in that community every day. Right. Right? They don't deal with these people every day. They're not 
having casual conversation with these people every day. And in that culture, these people don't want to be sold to. They don't care if you got a big suit or like a long tie. They don't care. Like all they 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 want to hang out with you at in the club. You know what I mean? Like they want to you know kick it kick it with you and smoke some weed. You know that's not your style, so you don't have those relationships. So I feel like there's more cultural boundaries, I guess, than there are genre boundaries. Because um, my artist Duckworth, um, I mean, he's he does rock, he does mm-hmm. electronic, he does dance, he does hip hop, like you know. So yeah, I would say cultural. Yeah, okay. well, I'll just add too. Like that's such a good point because we live in the genreless world. So like Duck, Duckworth is doing rap, is doing rock. So you know all these different mm-hmm. promoters. But um, you know, like we talked about at distribution companies, like maybe something like Symphonic as a just distribution company has a lot of dance artists. But I've also taken mm-hmm. folk and indie artists to them because they might stand out a little bit more. That's a different relationship than management. I do think it's important to be culturally aligned as a manager, like you said, even if it's this genreless world. But, you know, like I wrote this book with the intention of it being genreless. And when, when I asked Matthew Wong to compose the music for this podcast, he's like, what kind of style are you going for? And I said, genreless. And if you listen to the music for this podcast, it kind of is that, you know? <laughs> um, and I'm, I'm so, you know, it warms my heart that there are um, rap artists, country artists, classical artists that, um, you know, have been into this book and podcast. So I, I think, I just wanted to clarify, I think it depends on the role, right? Like, I think the stuff I'm teaching covers all genres, hopefully. But I think in management, that's such an intimate relationship. Yeah, management is is yeah. is, is such a... Um it's such a person to person thing, right? Like you'd be amazed how many things you get for an artist just because of who, you know, Yeah, you know what I mean? Or because you have, you knew you went to school with this person, you know what I'm saying? So I feel like your cultural equity is so important when it comes to management. Um, when it comes like distribution and stuff like that, I think, you, I, I don't think you want to go necessarily if you're a hip hop artist, you want to go to a distribution company that um, is focused on dance music, right? Where most of the people that are signed there are dance music artists, yeah. right? Um, so when it comes to those type of things, yes, those are genre based, but yeah. when it comes to your relationships, in the music industry, those close relationships that build and develop your career, like as much as you can work with people that um, focus less on genre mm-hmm. and focus more on um, cultural mm-hmm. equity, yeah. that's the best thing. Because especially now where artists evolve all the time, like uh, what's the rapper who just recently dropped an album and it's like super rock heavy or like alternative or whatever? Yeah. yeah. Like, imagine if his manager didn't know anything about that kind of music. Yeah. He would be stuck right now, you know? So you really want to, you don't want to limit, you don't want to limit yeah. yourself in that that way, you know? Working with people who understand your community is probably more important than understanding your genre. And the technical title for manager is personal manager. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Well, I think we're going to call it for this season unless uh, Joyce thinks I missed anything. Oh, yeah, get up there. This, this is our... Um, our new person that I met in the hallway right before. Yeah. <laughs> Hi, my, my name is Giovanni. Nice to meet you. Yeah. Um, you mentioned earlier that as a manager who manages new artists, you have to wear a lot of hats. And my question is around financial alignment with the artist. How do you go about when that artist starts to bring in consistent revenue, consistent income, how do you go about educating them and making sure that they're financially literate? Um, is that a hat that you wear or is that one that you kind of just outsource to 
I don't know. Like a So it is a hat that I wear. Mm-hmm. It is a hat that I wear. I I'm I'm almost kind of discovering that I might be quite unique. Um I do a lot for my artists. Yeah. Um so I do deal with their finances. I deal with their lo- legal stuff. I do all the mm-hmm. things, all the things. Eventually I I won't be. I like to think, but um financial literacy is so important. Mm-hmm. It's so important. But it's really hard to teach that, especially to um, a creative who never had money in their lives. You know what I mean? Like the money that they're making now is probably the most that they've ever made. And then some artists don't even imagine that they'd ever make money from doing something that they love. Then so then trying to manage that excitement is even more difficult. Yeah. Um, what I do is I this is where the partnership, you know, uh, aspect of things come into play. And why it's important for you to try to have a partnership with your with your artist versus a management situation. Because in a management circumstance, you really don't have as much control, right? You know, maybe you'll maybe you can trust the artist to give you your 20% or 10%, or maybe you give them an LOD or give whoever's paying an LOD to pay you your share instead what's, of paying what's direct. What's an LOD? An LOD is a letter of direction. So that's where you tell a third party who's paying to pay you your portion. And then to pay the artist the balance, right? Um, so some managers will operate from an LOD, but then some companies don't like to even pay out that way because now they got to deal with multiple, you know, payroll circumstances. Like it's a lot, right? Mm-hmm. So having a partnership is important because then also now you can manage the finances. You can manage how finances are coming in and how finances are going out. And from the minute that you do that, you let the artist have access to the same financial information that you have access to, right? All of my artists, whether they log in or not, have a login to get into the bank account to see how much money is being made and to see what's being paid out and things like that. Um, And how I do it is I pay each artist a salary. So from their own money, they get a certain amount of money every month Mm -hmm. and that money they use to live. So basically it's their salary. And at the end of the year, once we look and see how much money we've made, maybe set some projections for how much money we're going to make in the future, we determine whether or not they should get a raise. Mm -hmm. Their rent and their bills and things like that are paid from this company account, right, that they also have access to that they probably don't log in to. Mm-hmm. Um, but their all their basic necessities are paid from that, right? Yeah. So they don't have to worry about their rent. They don't have to worry about it gets automatically paid every month, right? But then they get this in-pocket, which is their salary, this in-pocket money that goes automatically to them, to their personal account or whatever other account we set, set up. And they have to work with that. They have to work within that. You know, um, every every conversation about um, spending money is a combo, right? There's a budget. If you wanna if you wanna drop an album, this is how much we're gonna have to spend on that album. Mm-hmm. This is where we plan on getting the money from. You know, to pay for this album, right? Um, but being very clear with them about what portion of the money coming in is for them, mm-hmm. what portion of the money coming in is for marketing, mm-hmm. and what portion of the money coming in is for you. Right. Those though that clarity is probably the most important thing. But the beautiful thing is that in distribution, they have splits. Mm-hmm. So now people's percentages can go directly to them. Yeah. You know, so you can set up an account. All of my artists have an account that's set up to manage their marketing business. Mm-hmm. So the money comes into that account and then that account then pays me and that account then pays them their share. And their share goes to dealing with their personal lives and their personal investments. And the company share goes to 
almost treating them like a record label. Yeah. So that company, we build up that money and then that money is used to pay for their album covers and all of that other stuff. But in the same way, that money is recouped from the sales of those albums. So that pocket, that business um, portion of it, that business account that should be um, not touched by the artist or the manager, that business account is essentially their record label. Yeah. It funds them. It pays for everything and it gets recouped back the same way. Yeah. And it's also, which you'll appreciate as a business, I know you're getting your MBA, um, you know, being, uh, putting money away for retirement. I know that's the last thing people are thinking about in their 20s or their touring. It's, it, it's difficult to tour forever or plan for the next pandemic, right? That was so shocking to the touring industry. And we've also talked about being mindful of expenses, right? Like, um, I shared how I was on tour in Australia and Ben Folds came to one of our shows and I have no idea why we were talking about this, but he was handed two tour budgets, one with a tour bus and one with a van. And with the van, he was going to come home with an extra six figures. And he's like, I'm cool with the van, you know? So it's also being mindful of those expenses. Like, do you need a tech for every, um, you know, musician on stage? Like, is your crew maybe okay um, sharing hotel rooms, but getting paid a little bit more. So um, with the band that I tour managed a long time ago, I think they did a pretty good job as they got bigger, not necessarily um, going for every bell and whistle that's available because you want to have some money at the end of the tour and you also want to plan for the long term. And I think it, it, it definitely helps when you're able to visibly separate the funds, yeah. right? Because... Totally. If you're going on tour and I'm saying, okay, well, 10% is going to your agent, mm -hmm. 20% is going to the company, yeah. and you know what would that be? 50% uh, right, is going to you. You've already know what you're going to do with your 50%. You probably already spent it. You know mm -hmm. what I'm saying? It's already accounted for, right? But we still got that 20%. Yeah. And that 20% is what's going to allow you to do bigger and better things in the future. So, it, so you almost got to look at it as like... Um, a savings account, right? Like a rainy day fund, yeah. you know? And as the, as that fund grows, the artist is not as obligated, I guess, to invest as much anymore because now you have this company that you own that is investing for you, is investing in you and, and, and recouping that money back. So it's really, it's, it's a, a evolving financial situation, but I think it creates less frustration because the artist at least knows I know I'm getting 50% that I can do what I want. Yeah. And you a good, you'll appreciate this as an MBA student. A good business manager, as an artist gets bigger, will set up multiple entities. So maybe the recording is an entity, the touring is an entity, because God forbid they get sued on tour, then the recording is protected. And that's obviously why you set up entities as well. So then you're personally protected. So mm -hmm. hope that's a good music business crash course Thank for you. Thank you. Appreciate yeah. it. Yeah. Well, Xena, you are so busy. Thank you so much for of all course, this time thank you for and wisdom. Me. Yes, we are so grateful. Thank Give it up you. for Xena, everyone. Awesome. So that's a wrap for this season, uh, for season three of How to Build a Sustainable Music Career and Collect All Revenue Streams. I'm forever grateful to you all for attending, tuning in, and listening. Huge thanks to Christina Prince and all of our incredible guests for their time and wisdom this season. No worries. I also want to thank Downtown Music, the Music Managers Forum US, and Sharon Tapper, 
Podcast manager Mike Zimmerlich, engineer Nathan Kane, Matthew Wong for composing the show's music, Danny, David, and Jake at Tower Records and all their wonderful interns, the Ally Coalition, Liquid Death, Hal Leonard, and of course, the Mayor's Office of Media and Entertainment's New York Music Month for making this all happen. We will see you next season, which is maybe going to be in London. We can't wait. Thanks again. Thank you for having me. Awesome.